Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. This is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast, and welcome to episode three of the Cult Movie Lounge, where we discuss all cult films all the time. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, writer, and award-winning blogger Robert Manel of the I'm in a Just Franco State of Mind blog that he's been doing since 2006. It's been a while for us, Robert. How's it going? Good. Very good, uh, Rigor. Thank you for inviting me back. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, over here we're finally settled into our new house. Um, I don't know if the folks at home know. We, I just, my, my wife and I and our family just moved recently. But the good thing is, I now have an office, and I've got sort of a. I don't like to call it a man cave, but it's it's basically a man cave where I've got all my collectibles on the walls. I got my DVDs, my vinyl records, my CDs, my VHS tapes. And I, everything's at my fingertips now, and I can watch whatever I want and listen to whatever I want whenever I want now, finally. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. All right. So today we are going to do an overview of Spanish horror director Jess Franco's film career, and uh, we're going to bring up some of our favorite Franco films as well. Um, I do have to admit at the beginning here that shame on me, I haven't seen nearly as many Franco films as I should, so... Uh, that's why I really enjoy do, doing the show with you, Robert, because um, I want to be able to dive into these films, and it gives me a good excuse to watch them. Uh-huh. He has a lot to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found a few facts about Franco that I didn't know. Looking at his IMDb, man, he's been directing from 1959 all the way up to 2013. Um, yep. His last film, at least according to IMDb, was Revenge of the Alligator Ladies. Right. Um, the the thing I love about his movies is that they're overlooked, but they're, they're like works of art. I mean, he had such a great visual style, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, during his peak period, I found out he averaged about nine films a year, which is crazy. Yes, yes. Almost one a month he was doing at one point. <laughs> wow, that's unbelievable. One other little fact I wanted to throw out there was I found out he also served as second unit director on Orson Welles' film Chimes at Midnight. Right. Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. So that's cool. He helped Wells do that. He helped Wells uh, do that. He was going to direct a version of uh, Treasure Island, you know, the classic Stevenson story, um, with Wells starring as, you know, the captain, you know what I mean, of the yeah. pirates. And, uh, but it didn't come off. But he did, he did, he did do um, second unit work on 
chimes at midnight and they were going to make another film together. It didn't work out. That was back in 1965. Right, right. So why don't you tell us, Robert, how you got into the world of Just Franco and how your blog got started and all that good stuff? Okay, well, uh, you know, I didn't just get into it really as much as some people did, you know. And uh, I first got into it, (laughs) I don't even know if I would call it getting into it. I first got into, I heard about his films. I remember I was reading a a magazine and they were taught um, up at Syracuse University. I was going there when I was 19 years old, you know, as I took some classes up there. And in the bookstore, they had a, uh, a magazine, you know, it was about, and they talked about this director named Jesus Franco, who I never had heard of before, you know, a Spanish director. And they were taught, this is back in 1969, okay, which dates <laughs> <laughs> me. They talked about his most recent film called Succubus, okay. And, uh, and it was playing, I guess, in uh, Europe. It was getting good reviews. And it says it's a very dreamlike, weird film about this woman going around uh, killing people. And, uh, you know, she's, um, you know, like controlled by like some demon or something. And they said, it said it, they said it was, you know, very far out. We're saying, I said, boy, I really like to see this film someday. And they made it sound really interesting. But I never got to see it until like almost 20 years later. Because wow. it was. It was released to American theaters in New York City, but I, I mean, in the late 60s, I didn't get a chance to see it. It was never released in my hometown. I live in a small industrial town in New York, mid-central New York, and uh, I never got to see it. It didn't play here, and that was before video or uh, DVD or Blu-ray or anything like that, or nothing Nothing was streaming anywhere, you know what right. I mean? So, so uh, you know, uh, what I did, I kind of just forgot about them. And then a few years, I was really into like Hammer films at that time, you know, um, you know, like Frankenstein must be destroyed, and uh, <laughs> you know the Christopher Lee Dracula films. I was really into those in terms of horror, and you know, um, you know some of the British films like you know The Conqueror Worm, you know, with Vincent Price. Right. I was really into those type of films, and um, they, they were more like mainstream. And he really wasn't. A, he was a mainstream director for a while in Spain, but not here and his films really didn't get shown here so um and then one saturday afternoon i was home and about one in the afternoon they, and they were showing this film called count dracula okay and um it was one of his films and i knew it was one of his films i said oh my god they're showing it on television so i watched it and uh i was expecting something like a hammer film you know how hammer films look and right you know they're, they're they look like they're very you know uh the, the 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 decor is nice and they look like they're really happening in the 1800s and they look they have good acting well um i started to watch it and all of a sudden the whole film looked like it was out of focus okay to get oh, it, it, it was like an old 16 millimeter print they were showing like on television okay and i said um you know and i said well this is a true story of dracula started out like that you know and um this is exactly how it was written and i had read the book Dracula, you know, and it really wasn't exactly how it was written, you know what I mean? So I was kind of, you know, I was kind of upset about that, you know, and yeah. uh, number two, I remember the, um, there were, it starts off with the stagecoach going to Dracula's castle in Renfield, and um, then it shows that they encounter wolves, and the wolves didn't look like wolves, they looked like German shepherds, they looked like just somebody's dogs, okay? <laughs> I said, I said, Jesus, they, these don't look like wolves, and it just, uh, it didn't look like a hammer film, which I expected it to look like. 
Right. Christopher Christopher Lee played Greg, a great actor. He's fantastic in the film. And the only good thing he's the only good thing about the film. He, his hair starts out as gray hair when you first meet him, and then it turns blacker, and he gets younger looking as he goes to London and starts, you know, attacking people. So that was interesting. That's in the novel. But I didn't like the rest of the film. I didn't like. The, I didn't know the supporting players. It was all filmed in in Spain, you know. Yeah. And it takes it takes place in, you know, like Transylvania, then in London, and Spain doesn't look like London. So <laughs> they had this old castle. So I said, okay, that was a disappointment. So I didn't think about it again. And then a few months later on TV, they showed another one of the films, The Castle of Fu Manchu, with also with Christopher Lee, right. which was made before Count Dracula. These films were made in like in 68 or 69, and they're finally showing them on local TV. I think this was like in 71 or 72 on the Saturday afternoon horror show. You know? Yeah. And um, so they showed this one, and it was in black. The film's in color, but they showed it in black and white. And once again, uh, Christopher Lee looked like the character. I remember seeing the old Christopher Lee Fu Manchu films from the mid '60s. You know, and the mask—I think the mask of Fu Manchu or yeah. the face of Fu Manchu—and those were. I saw them theatrically when I was, a, you know, like twelve or thirteen. These were good, but once again, this one looked cheaper. It didn't look as interesting. I just turned it up and said, "I can't watch it." You know. <laughs> so, so then cut. Okay, we have to cut there. I had totally forgotten about Jess Franco. I continued to be a Hammer horror fan. I said, those all came to town at the drive-in, so I, I saw those. That was my main interest in horror, was like Hammer horror and, you know, uh, Roger Corman horror type things, you know. Right. I didn't mind, mind low-budget films, but I didn't like Jess Franco films and the ones that I saw, you know. But So I, we have to cut 20 years to when I got my first VCR, when my, my father got the VCR for the house, you know what I mean? And I was in my um, late 20s or something. I just, the VCR was a new toy for me. And I started renting out tapes. And and that's how I really got into the real Jess Franco, okay? That some of his films were on videotape at some of the local video stores. So I started watching his films. I said, well, these are a lot more interesting than ones I had seen years ago on TV. And they were, they had more sex and violence. They were, they were you know, they were like Spanish horror films. And, very, they were strange. It had you know a lot of weird, at a dreamlike atmosphere, and I said, okay, these are really interesting. Yeah. But I only could, I only could, I only could watch a few. There was only a few of them at the video tape store. There was one called A Version Among the Living Dead. Okay. Which, oh yeah. Which was like a zombie film. They intercut scenes from another director's film, and they put these other scenes that another director did into this middle of the story about this woman going. You know, having a breakdown in um, in her family um, castle. You know, and it, it was a pretty interesting film. But I didn't realize it was like it was the way it was cut together was like two different films. Okay, and I said, okay, that's interesting. Then I saw a few more of his films, and I just got kind of hooked. There was something about him that I really liked. And then I started to find out this was in the '80s. There wasn't that much writing. Now there's books, several books on him, and I've written right. myself. I'm, 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 I think myself. I've, I must. I've written dozens and had dozens of articles published. I have my blog. I've written um, introductions for books on Jess Franco. I've written articles about his films in other books. You know, in, in England and in, uh, there's a magazine in Italy. I reviewed some of his films and some of the aspects of them. I did a review of one of his cannibal films in a UK a book in London, published in London about Italian and. Spanish cannibal films. So I was writing like little things about publishing them. It was all good. And, 
And uh, they were still hard to see, though, up until, I think, the DVD era, you know. And now they're all over the place, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, it, you know, and uh, you couldn't really see them. Like, like the video prints were not that good, you know. And um, I had heard of some of them. And I said, geez, I really want to see these. But they really didn't start coming out. You couldn't look, get on Amazon. If you go on Amazon now, put Jess Franco in, you'll see dozens and dozens of films you can order, you know. Right. And um, but it wasn't like that back in the day, you know, back in the until like about, you know, until like about maybe about like after the year 2000. OK, yeah, um, after the DVD, I didn't really get a DVD player, I think, until about the end of the 1990s. You know, uh, I was still into videos and then I finally got one. I said, okay, yeah, this this looks a lot better. These films look a lot better. All films look a lot better on DVD than video. That's for sure. And um I started getting into them. Then I got into Blu-ray, and I they started to put out really good, uh, you know, Blu-ray, high-definition Blu-rays of his most interesting films. And ever since, I've done like commentaries on Just Frank with Blu-rays for various companies, done audio commentaries. I've written liner notes, um, do podcasts like this one on his films, and uh, uh, do I've done short videos on, you know, Blu-rays about aspects of his films. So I've you know, I, and I have this blog that I've done for, you know, since two, since, I'm sorry, since 2006. So every month I might have one or two new blog entries, you know, yeah. and when I get, when I get the chance and um, I write about Jess Franco films or films related to that or films that are like his, and that's a lot of fun. I have like about 250, almost 300 now uh, regular readers, you know, who registered readers and um, anybody who wants to read it, uh, you know, you can give them the uh, blog uh, URL to end of the show. But uh, I think it's pretty interesting because I, I have a different take on him than some people. Some people really don't like his films. Some people like his films a lot. And some people collect every single film and some people are halfway. So and his a lot of his films are very controversial. They have a lot of violence in some of his films are hardcore sex in them. <laughs> um, <laughs> some of his films have soft, a lot of his films have softcore sex. And uh, a lot of his films are very, very low budget. And you can tell they're low budget. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and a lot of his films, he made higher budget films too. But, you know, he's made dozens and dozens and dozens of films. Like, I'm looking at the IMDb right now. I just want to see how many. They have like uh, 206 director listings for him that he they have it here that he directed 206 films just as director okay right and that he, and that he wrote 130 183 of those he wrote the film scripts and that he acted in 106 of them okay <laughs> which he did he's he's in a lot of his films sometimes he plays the villain sometimes he plays like a, a kind of you know a psychic or a weird kind of servant and he and he composed the music for 73 of them and edited 48 of them. So he does all these different jobs on his films. Yeah. And he has sometimes just a few people in them. And that's the way he makes these, a lot of low-budget films. He he does he, he writes them, he acts in them, he directs them, he composes the music, he edits them, everything. You know? And sometimes they just have two or three other actors in him. And uh, so they're different. They don't look like typical Hollywood films. You know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, at all, I'm, I'm sure the ones you've seen. I don't know which ones you've seen, but uh, I saw that right away. And uh, like the, the Draco one, that was actually one of his more expensive films. It was produced by Harry Allen Towers. The, um, he was a notorious British producer, produced all these kind of uh, 
sexy films like in Dor like Dorian Gray and uh, in the late sixties and early seventies and uh, right, right. You know, and uh, he hired Jess Franco to make about I think he made about a hundred and a hundred about ten or twelve films that were produced by this British producer Harry Allen Towers. One of them was Count Dracula, and uh, to me, it's his least interesting one. Probably the one he had the most money for because. Um, I think he just had to, you know, like um, deal with a lot more. He dealt with the more famous actors and that, and uh, he had to stick to the script pretty much. And it was, it, it, it's like, you know, the Bela Lugosi film, I, I prefer that Dracula, okay? Or the, ones, <laughs> or the ones by Hammer. This one is, uh, I didn't like it at all. But that's only one of his films, okay? He, he's, directed over, he's directed nearly 200 other films. And I think the ones in IMDb, 265. I don't think he directed that many. There's a lot of them. He have he'd have like one film with two or three different titles. Yes. Yeah. So they're so they're counting them as, uh, you know, um, different films, and they're really not. <clears throat> and you know, on the IMDb, once they make a mistake, it usually stays a mistake. Right. And, and although some of them, some of Franco's films do have two or three different versions. Okay, and they and they are almost like separate films. Like it has a different title. Sometimes it has it's the same film with like different cast members than the other film. Sometimes it has different scenes in it, and sometimes and it's different music scores. So sometimes, sometimes it comes off as a totally different film, but sometimes it's just a repetition of the same film with a different title. So to study his films and all his career, you gotta you gotta kind of weed out the uh, good, the good ones from the the not so good ones, the ones which are his films, the ones which are like uh, films. Which are just like uh, remakes of he, he he remade a lot of his own films, and he started like in 1957 making short films, and he made films up to 2013. Uh, he, in fact, his last film, The Revenge of the Alligator Ladies, he died while he was making that film. Oh wow, he, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was 83. He died in the middle of production, and and the main actor actually finished directing it. Okay, Antonio Mayans, very very good actor, uh, Spanish actor. He's been in American films. And uh, and he speaks English. I, I been talking to. I talked. He's an internet friend. I talked to him on Facebook a lot. Very interesting, nice guy, and very good actor once again. And uh, he finished the film for him, and, and that was his last film. And uh, I, I mean, I have it. It's uh, it's a shot on in the last part of his career from the last twenty or twenty five films he made from the year the nineteen nineties till his death were all made on video. Okay, they're like made direct-to-video films, okay? Right. And they, they didn't get theatrical release here, I mean, at all. I mean, some of his other films did, but these films were just, you, you had to buy them, like, through, uh, through like, companies, bootleg companies, or you, or you had to buy them, like, through the internet or mail order, okay? They didn't get, they're not theatrical films. Right, right. But and he did he did start off by making theatrical films in Spain. Oh, yeah. And one thing I read, too, about him making um, his films, I think, early on in his career, um, because of um, who was the president of Spain at the time. I think his name was Franco also, right? Right. His, his name was Franco. He, yeah. he was Francisco Franco. Right. And he was... Uh, now, this is, an, this is an interesting story, because uh, Francisco Fran in Spain in the 1920s and 30s and teens and Back in the 1800s, it was a democracy. Okay, it was like you know, it's kind of like it was a democracy in Europe, and it was there wasn't any war there. Uh, Franco came in; he was kind of like a, he was like a 
he was like one of the kind of comrades of Hitler in Mussolini, okay, in the fa he was one of the European fascists, okay, who in the 1930s wanted to be like Hitler. He was, uh, he put his enemies in jail. He uh, executed people in Spain. He, uh, right. he, he censored anything that didn't agree with him. There was no free speech. He couldn't make Jess Franco type films or couldn't have any sex or violence in any films back then. A lot of people left and um, he was a he was like a, a, a big fan and a good friend of Hitler. And then when Hitler got defeated after World War II in Germany, went back to being a democracy and, you know, everything went back to normal. Spain stayed on, as a dictatorship and they didn't have any, you know, free elections there or they still had really strict censorship. You couldn't speak anything about anything against, you know, Francisco Franco, the Generalissimo Franco. You could be arrested for, you know, speaking out against him or writing a, article against him or something like that you know it wasn't a free country and uh franco made about 20 films between like 1960 or 61 and 1969 or 70 in spain but they were all like um, censored okay he couldn't do anything that was too controversial um, he had to submit a film script to like this special censorship board before he made it and they said well you got to make this change you got to make and they would tell him they would rewrite the whole film strip for them, okay? Yeah. And then they would say, if you want to make this film, you're going to have to take, you're going to have to do, a week, you're going to have to cut all these scenes and make, give it a happy ending, okay? Basically, you, you can't have this type of ending. It's got to be a happy ending, okay? <laughs> <laughs> really, literally, they would tell him that, okay? Oh, and, and he made a few horror films. He didn't have a happy ending. And he got into some trouble with the dictatorship, and they would, they started really censoring his films even more because they thought he was a troublemaker. And, uh, you know, he, he just got sick of it and kind of in the late 60s, he left Spain and um, he started making films in France and where they didn't have censorship like in Spain, where they were democracies, you could speak out, they were free countries, you know. Right. But in Spain stayed that way until 1975 when Franco died. Right. And then, it opened, then it became a normal country, but that's a long, so between the end of 30 years, between the end of World War II, in 1975, 30 years, uh, Spain stayed like a kind of a quasi-fascist country where there was no democracy and you couldn't really do anything against the government or say anything against the government. And it wasn't a good place to make the kind of movies he wanted to make, you know. He, he wanted to make, like, you know, films about the Marquis de Sade. He wanted to make horror films. He wanted to make sexy films. He wanted to make he wanted to make what they call now as erotic thriller type films. Right, okay? right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you couldn't make a, a film like Basic Instinct in Spain in the 1960s, you know? No, exactly. No, they, they wouldn't even look. You would have had to submit the script, and they said, well, we're not going to allow you to make this film in this country. You can't, you can't show this kind of stuff. And they, would, and they would not give him, you know, an allowance. They would, he would not be able to get a budget. So he couldn't make anything he wanted to make. But he did make a few interesting films, you know? But he couldn't really do what he wanted to do there. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, what I was going to ask you was where you know where he went to film his films outside of Spain. He went to Portugal, which is a totally different country. A lot of people don't realize that's right next to Spain. Right. And and they didn't ha they didn't have like a Franco dictatorship. Okay. Yeah. They, Franco didn't didn't have any authority there, so he went there and started making some films there, and uh, and, and and they showed his films uncensored. And he wasn't told to rewrite this and that. He wasn't told to make give it a happy ending. 
And the big important film that you made there was called was called Necronomicon. Right. After, and it was retitled Succubus. Was shown in this country sixty eight. It was made in sixty seven. And it received very good reviews and played in New York City. Received very good reviews from the New York critics. Believe it or not, is kind of a very interesting avant garde literate horror film. Okay, and um, and he said, okay, that's great. I'm never going. Be, he said, he said, I'm never going back to Spain again. Okay, he he liked he was going to work there. Then he got an offer from American International Pictures, and here who are going to? They said, you come to work for us, and we'll distribute your films and give you money to make them. And Harry Allen Towers was associated with him. He was a British producer. Who, you know, he, he made a lot of kind of sexy films in England and right. Europe at the end of uh, the 60s, like uh, Dorian, Dorian Gray uh, and uh, Helmut Berger and other films like that. Yeah. And so Harry Allen Towers, you know, hired him as a director for a series of films. So between 1968 and 1970, he made, let's see, he, he made one, two, three, four, five, six, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. He made about 12, about a dozen films in two years. That's incredible. Just for Harry Allen Towers. He produced them, and Harry Allen Towers wrote some of the scripts or collaborated with them, but he, he didn't give him any, he didn't censor any of them or tell him, tell him what to do, and he tried to make him as much, he tried to leave him alone and do what he wanted to do, so he made really interesting films for him, like Venus and Furs, one of his best films. Uh, he made Count Dracula, which the one I really don't like that much. But that was kind of more like meant to be a big budget film, okay, and yeah. Hollywood type film. I don't think he's as good as, you know, as the Hammer. They're not as good as Hammer films. Right, right. <laughs> but then he made other films from like the Castle of Fu Manchu, the Blood of Fu Manchu, which well, once I saw him in good, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays, I said, okay, these are actually pretty good, you know. And he made one called 99 Women, which was one of the first women in prison movies, and which was a big hit in the U.S., showed the drive-ins in the U.S., by the kind of violence in a women's prison type movie. And, um, you know, he made a whole series of films like this, which were commercially successful for Harry Allen Towers. But then he kind of broke with him in the early 70s and started producing his own films, which were really a lot more violent, a lot more avant-garde, uh, a, lot, a lot sexier. They showed nudity. And they were, these films were all made, some were made in Germany, some were made. The, France was really free. And they had like, hardcore nudity they had hardcore scenes and nudity and you could do anything you wanted there long before you could long before like deep throat in the u.s you know what i mean right, they were doing right. this, they were doing this kind of stuff in the late 60s so he, he kind of relocated in france and made some films there in germany which were some of his best films and he could just pretty much do whatever he wanted to you know and they were still low budget but he he didn't have any sensors hanging over him, you know? yeah yeah, exactly. And he made some of his some of my favorite films were made in that period, and that that whole period goes from like nineteen seventy or seventy one to um, oh my god, it goes it goes up to like the mid seventy seventy five or seventy six when he started working for this German producer, made a bunch of films in Germany and Switzerland. Okay, yeah, but, but you know that's a whole that's a whole other thing. And then finally in the nineteen eighties, he came back to Spain as an independent producer director and could make films that he wanted to make. That's just a quick thumbnail thing. We're, there's a lot of films, a lot of different periods of his. The ones I like the best are the ones he made in France, and uh, then the ones he made later in Spain in the 80s, 
which are totally because you can do whatever you wanted to, and they were very personal, very interesting, very weird. Just they were known as a Jess Frankel thing. Right, right. And but you, but but you gotta you gotta kind of you just can't watch one or two of his films. A lot of people do and say, okay, this is too weird for me, and then they say, I'm not gonna watch any more of his films. You gotta kind of you know get into his films, watch a bunch of them, and then if you like them, okay. If not, you don't. You know. Right, right. And like I said earlier in the show, um, you know, I really love the fact that his his films, you've got to look at them like a work of art because of his yes. visual style. Would you say that his his directing style changed in the 80s? or Because, uh, I mean, yes. his most prolific stuff was between the 60s and 70s. Right. Well, that's because, yes, because he, st- first of all, this is another, ad- there's so many aspects to his career. He was studied music and he, he played the piano from a very young age, was a piano, you know, I mean, from his like, er- even before he was in his teens, he was an accomplished piano player. Wow. His uncle, his uncle Enrique Franco was like a well-known composer in Franco's, in General Franco's, you know, repressive Spain when it was so fascist. He was a well-known composer even back then in the 40s and 50s. He took Jess Franco under his wing and taught him how to play the piano. And he composed a lot of music. He was a composer. He was a piano player. And he started um, playing in jazz bands around Europe. He went to France and he studied directing there for a few years in the early 50s. And um, he went to the, uh, you know, the Parisian Cinémathèque Francais, which, which was dedicated to showing kind of older classic films you don't see any you know like older classic foreign films and he studied he kind of watched films all the time there and he studied directing in this french school well-known french school for directors in the early 50s then he came back to spain went to school there for took some film classes and then he just started you know working in the film industry got as an assistant director as a composer on some spanish films as a co-script writer he started doing that, and he did that until he got into just directing in the early '60s. Nice, nice. That's awesome. So and, he worked. He worked. He worked his way up. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, he worked with. Um, he frequently worked with a lot of actors, like we mentioned, Christopher Lee in a couple of his films, um, Herbert Lom, Klaus Kinski. But right. I also read about. Um, uh, there were two women, Soledad Miranda and Lena Romay, who I saw, yeah. obviously, were in a bunch of his movies. And he considered them his real-life muses. Can you yes, tell us about were, them? Well, yeah. Now, this is, a, this is another part of his complicated story. And after he left, he left Spain, okay, because uh, he couldn't do what he wanted to do. And uh, he, got, he moved to France and made some productions there. And... Uh, there was a Spanish actress, Soledad Miranda, who later died in a car accident. She made a bunch of films with him. She made about five or six films with him. She had a, sm- she had a small role in Count the Dracula film, Christopher Lee as one of Dracula's female victims. She had a, she had a small role. He actually directed some musicals, <laughs> musical comedies in Spain in the early 60s. Really? Right. One of the films he directed was called Queen of the Tabernacle, and they're like Hollywood music. I've, I've, I've got a few of my old tapes, and they're, they're like Hollywood musicals. Their people are singing and dancing. They had happy endings. They were, you know, all family-style Hollywood musicals, you know. Huh. And, uh, uh, you know, they, you know the whole, you could, they, they weren't, or, you know, anyone could see them, you know. They were, he made two or three musicals, and she was in one of them. 
I think that was her first film in 62 or 61. And then he made a series of films that are starting in the late, um, late 60s and early 70s. And she actually died in mid-1970, in August 1970, in a car accident. Her oh. husband was driving, and they hit the back of a truck that was pulled out in front of them. And she was like, you know, she was like really killed almost instantly. Oh, my God. And she was 27 years old. Okay? Wow. I mean, if you've seen any, I would highly recommend anyone who wants to get into the Jess Franco film to see the films he made with her, like Vampires Lesbos, okay, Vampires Lesbos, where she pays as Queen of the Vampires. Now, this was filmed in, uh, parts of it were filmed in Istanbul, she was uh, Turkey, okay, he made several films there, Yeah. and parts of it were filmed in, I think, uh, I think parts of it were filmed in Portugal. Some small scenes may have been filmed in France. I mean, I'm sorry, in Spain, because you really couldn't make a whole film like that there. But it had a lot of nudity in, and um, it was really risque type of film. It was a lesbian vampire film. But it was kind of very similar to the Hammer films, like, you know, the like Lost for a Vampire, you know, when Hammer started getting adding a lot of sex to their films in the late 60s. I don't know if you saw that one. Which one? Lost for a Vampire? Yes, I have seen I saw that recently. Right. That's very similar. Have you seen Vampire Celestials? Yes. Okay. It's very similar to that. Yes. I mean, when you agree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's about these... Well, she seduces other... Uh, she's a female vampire. She just seduces women and turns them into vampires. And um, she's got a vampire companion, a male companion. They're very similar. Okay, And you can tell he was influenced by the Hammer that film in particular. <clears throat> and then he made another film with her called uh, Eugenie de Sade, uh, which is probably the best film he made with her, where she plays like a, a murderer. Um, her, her and her father have this kind of very strange relationship. And they go on, and it was all filmed, it was filmed in Berlin, believe it or not. He, he hmm. had contacts, he had contacts in Berlin. That's where Succubus was filmed partially in Berlin wow. and, partially, and partially in Lisbon. Back in '67, that was his first serious 100% Jess Franco film, pretty much. And then uh, he could do what he wanted, and I have. And then he made this film partially in Berlin and uh, partially in Istanbul, Vampires Lesbos, and uh, it's kind of a you know a very risque kind of female vampire film. And uh, and then he made this Eugenie Desad in totally in Berlin film in Berlin and it's kind of this tragedy about this writer and his young daughter they go on a killing spree they start they invite people over to their house they start drinking and they drug them and they kill people <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh, uh, that's one of my favorite of his films but you you really got to be kind of have the head to, to want to see something like that to watch it okay? right right <laughs> it's not for everybody you know? it's, right it, it's kind of like a it's based on a story by the Marquis de Sade. Okay, yeah. The actual writer de Sade, okay? Right, right. It's based on one of his short stories, but it takes place in modern Berlin. And the husband and daughter in the Sade story, which was written like in the late 1700s during the French Revolution, do the same kind of things, killing people or having an incestuous affair. And he got put into jail for it back in the, in France. Right. Back in the, back in the late 18 early 1800s, late 1700s, decide. Yeah. And Franco has made like about 10 or 12 films based on his writings, and he's one of Franco's favorite writers, and he makes a lot of films based on his work. 
because he likes the fact that he was persecuted. He identifies with the Saad or Saad because he was persecuted by the government. He was persecuted by other writers because he wrote, he was different, okay? He, he told these um, stories about, you know, not kind of normal people, but about people who did sinful things were punished for it. And you couldn't even do that back in the 1700s, and he was put in prison for it. Franco just had to leave Spain, okay? So it's a different type of thing. But he's he's made a lot of Desaad-inspired films, and Eugenie Desaad is probably the best of them with Soledad Miranda. And then she made Vampires Lesbos and two or three other films, and then she was killed in this tragic car accident. And um, he, after that, he made, he was making other, he was making more films back in uh, France. He had, he was making, he made a lot of films like around south of France, like, you know, the Riviera type area. Right. And, uh, you know, some film noir type films. He made a number of those. And uh, a lot of film noir type, it would be like a murder mystery, but a lot of violence and sex in it more than usual. Kind of, uh, there were a lot of people together in a house who were being killed one by one. Kind of that kind of Agatha. He made a lot of a number of Agatha Christie type films, uh, films like that. Okay, yeah. And, uh, uh, he made like a nun film about these nuns who were like uh, breaking their vows. Okay, having sex with priests and stuff like that. <laughs> that, uh, that film, La Chant La Chantelousos, uh, I can't even pronounce it. La Chantelay has never been released in America. Huh. I, I I have like a, a DVD-R of it, okay? And then he made a film called Exorcism, which he stars in the film playing a serial killer. <laughs> okay? Oh, wow. It was made in Paris. Okay. Totally in Paris. Jess Frank it was the star, the director, the writer, everything. He wow. Plays a, he plays a serial killer who picks up prostitutes in Paris and then um, takes them... He inherited a lot of money from his family. He has this kind of castle, really, really lavish castle. He takes them up to his castle, and he has a torture chamber there, and he tortures them, and he kills some of them. And he, um, so it, it's it will be kind of a it will be kind of an X-rated film for sex and violence um, in the United States. That wasn't even shown in the United States, but it was it was shown in Paris. And it was that was still banned in. Even in 75, the year Franco died, General Franco died, that couldn't be shown in Paris. But it, it, that's one of his more, most interesting films because you get to see Jess Franco play the lead role. And he's a very good actor. Wow, that's cool. Like He, he, makes, you, he makes you feel sorry for the guy. It makes you feel like, okay, this guy, everyone laughs at him, you know, and everyone, um, he was thrown out of seminary school. He wanted to be a priest. And everyone calls him different names. Even the even the derelicts of Paris laugh at him, call him names. He's an outcast, okay. And uh, so it's a it's a very interesting kind of psychological serial killer type films. You know what I mean? If you can imagine, yeah. like, uh, but back in 1975, there weren't that many films like that around, and he did one of the first. You know? Right, right, right. And now you told us about Soledad Miranda. What about Lena Romay? Then he met Lena Romay after so after in the early 70s. In Spain, Lena Romay was born in Spain, and uh, he met her while he was making a film, and I think it was in the south of France or south of Spain, but it wasn't a sex film. It, it was like a murder mystery. He met, he, 
and he met her on a set. He, she came there with her boyfriend to watch a film being made, and they hit it off. And he, she made, ended up being in about like maybe up to a hundred of his films for the next thirty years. You know what I mean? She was in a one film after another. She would be the star of the film, like she's in uh, Exorcism. She plays one of the main women he kidnaps and holds hostage. Okay, right. She's she's in that one. She's in one about the nuns. She's in a lot of his uh, murder mystery type films, or she's like the you know the the final girl type of thing. If you know what they mean by that, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean he he did these type of films before they were done in the United States. You know? Right. Like, you know, he, he, a lot of films that are now a lot of things that like like John Carpenter did or Brian De Palma did. He was doing those type of things back in the early seventies, long before they were doing it. So that's the kind of film he wanted to make. Now those films, uh, now his films are very popular. A lot of people buy them, and but he was doing it before anybody else was doing it. Right, right. In in Europe, okay, where you could do it, but he, a lot of his films couldn't be shown in the U.S. because, I mean, I mean that was when Deep Throat was still a, a scandal, but he did. He, he did both sex and violence together, kind of like The Devils by Ken Russell. Did you ever see that film? Yes. It's, it's full of sex and violence. And that, that got rated X, okay? Right. <laughs> in, the, in the U.S. His film would his films would have gotten rated X like that film did if they were shown here. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> and would you consider any of his films um, giallos? Yes. That, yes. Some of his early films, I call them noir when I interviewed him, he said, oh, yeah, I was asking about his films in 2005. And he, I was saying, what about this film? He said, oh, that's one of my black films. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's a mystery. And then I realized that they were like, he calls them giallo. He calls them black films. But they're like murder mysteries. And there's one where a guy's going around killing all these girls in like a girl's school, okay? And he's got like, you know, he's got like a black mask or somewhere, a killer wears like a black gloves okay? right <laughs> yeah yeah they're very very similar to jallos a lot of films he was making in the early 70s are very similar to the jallos that you know mario baba and argento and those guys were doing in italy okay right it's just that he didn't have enough money and his films were actually probably more violent he had more explicit sex scenes than their films did so once again he still they still didn't get shown in the u.s because they like you know, something like Blood and Black Lace, which is like a or, or the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Dario Argento film, they got released to U.S. theaters. But his his films back in that period didn't get released because they had even more sex and violence than <laughs> those guys had in them. Okay, and and they would have been rated X. Okay, and a lot of theaters wouldn't play. Like I mean, I mean, I remember I had to go to a see Deep Throat back in the early seventies. I had to go like to this really bad part of town to see it, you know? There's only one theater to show it, and the guy was almost, the guy who showed it was almost arrested by the local DA for showing it, you know? Right, right. So, so X-rated films weren't, weren't, that film was kind of a legal case, basically. I think it went to the, the one of the Supreme Courts oh, wow. of, the, of the state of New York, I think. It, 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 it was figured in court, in local court, I remember that, they said, okay, you can show this film. But he had to go through, like, I knew the owner of the theater, and I found out that he had to, like, go, he had to, like, ask kind of permission of the legal system to keep showing the film and not get arrested, okay? Wow. And this is the kind of film that 
Frank was making hard was making hardcore films at the same time. He was making these Jalo type films, but they were very violent, very explicit sexually, and they really weren't shown in the U.S. Right, they right. Didn't, they didn't really get shown here until like the, the video tape era in the late mid to late eighties. Yeah. Then then you could rent them out, and um, and a lot of them were edited. A lot, a lot of the a lot of them were edited for still were edited for sex and violence, but they, <laughs> they just weren't well known here. So he wasn't in the early sixties. He made a film called The Awful Doctor Orwell. Right. I was just going to bring that up. That film was about a mad doctor. Saying it takes place in. Uh, how does it take? It, it takes place in. It doesn't take place in the United States. It doesn't take place in England. It was like Germany, okay. wasn't it? Yeah, it was Germany, okay? Yeah. And it was like, there wasn't any kind of sex, or but there was a lot of violence in it. It's, there's a guy, you know, he, he kidnaps women, and um, he, you know, he, he keeps them in chains in a torture chamber. There's, the French producers added a few nude scenes, which weren't shown in the United States, but the film made a lot of money in Europe, okay? Because it showed a lot of sadism, and uh, it, it, and yeah, it takes it, it takes place like in uh, it takes place in Europe, okay? And it's like a definitely European film, and it takes place during like the 1800s or the late. It actually takes place in like the late 18, early 1900s, okay? That turn of the, you know, that 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 one century going into another century, kind of right, like right. that that period. So it's a period film, but it's also very violent. It has a lot of explicit sex stuff in it. So that was shown in the United States, and uh, I think in the mid-60s. And it did pretty well. It got some good reviews here. You know? But, then, it, but then, his, then he made a few other films, which are kind of like that, and they, but they weren't imported to the U.S., okay? But he, they were doing very well in Europe. But once again, they were like early Jallos, okay, or early kind of mad doctor type films, okay? Before that became popular here, right, right, or, or or they were like kind of like the films they made in Hollywood back in like the nineteen forties and fifties, you know, like uh, like Frankenstein nineteen seventy or something like that, you know what I mean? Or or Frankenstein, uh, you know, uh, I was a teenage Frankenstein. We have a mad doctor creating a new Frankenstein. Okay, yeah. So he was very influenced by those films that th they made like in the fifties in the u.s yeah 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 and he tried and he made a lot of films like that like he made a few follow-ups to dr orloff you know like one called the the sinister dr orloff another one called the the awful dr orloff you know the awful dr orloff dr orloff's monster which another guy played orloff and this kind of robot type monster was going around killing women strippers okay and, and there's that was even more risque than the awful Doctor Orwell, Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was like in the mid '60s. Then he made called one called the Diabolical Doctor Z, which is one of my favorites, which is about a doctor with a mind control type of apparatus who was controlling people's minds. Okay, by uh, injecting certain. He had it was like a Z ray, and he was like turning normal people into like hypnotic, uh, hypnotized killers. Right. Right. And uh, and there, he he made another film called Attack of the Robots in English, which I think was shown like in some theaters, and, uh, and maybe on late night television, which was about these robots which were going around kidnapping people under the control of like, a mad doctor. Yeah. 
so he he was he was very much interested horror science fiction jalo type films thriller type films murder mysteries and like i said he directed a few musicals early on but as as his career went on he he became one he wanted to make these type of films but in the in his own style okay right right and i was you know in preparing for this episode i was trying to rack my brain and, and figure out when i first saw uh, a Jess Franco film, and I originally thought it was gonna it was Oasis of the Zombies, but I actually, in looking, um, I do a lot of research into you know newspaper ads right. and TV listings and TV guides and stuff, and I found you know films like the Doctor, the awful Doctor Orloff playing on TV in the nineteen seventies, yes. late at night, and yes. I definitely I think those early, those quote unquote tamer early sixties films of his. Um, right. Played a lot on late night TV here, and that—that's where I they, saw them. They did. Now I didn't see those. I—I I, I live. I don't know where you live. I live in—I live in a really small town in Central New York. Oh so yeah, did, I grew up north of Boston, so we got all the Boston channels. So, so you got to Boston, and they did show those films like on the New York channels. People lived in the New York area, like WORs, yep. and uh, those channels in Boston. But they didn't show those here. What they did show was like they would show like on Saturday afternoon. They showed like. The, the Dracula film he made, or the Fu Manchu, okay, right. and, and they they weren't that extreme. They had like some mild violence, and there wasn't any really sex in them or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, but those, you know, some of those earlier films that he made, like the Orloff films, and some of the ones where these they were kidnapping women and torturing them and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, they they couldn't be shown like on local television here. Yeah. Okay. They so they didn't buy those. These films are shown like in packages with other films. So I don't think they should. They, I mean, I remember seeing Plan Knife Outer Space, Ed Wood film here, and and, and they showed it like once. I remember waiting to see that film for like ten years off through the six. They showed it like one time in the entire nineteen sixties. Okay, before oh, it became like you know. So that was considered a risque film, believe it or not, because of the one of the actors actresses was you know well endowed. You know, right, but, right, right, right. So you know. I live in a really conservative, you know, central New York community. So these type of films weren't showing. Um, and, and that's why I really didn't get into his films, like until the videotape era, when you could go and get these films out of a videotape store, looking, you know, which were, they, 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 they weren't like the edited, the ones they shoot on TV were still edited. These were less edited, and you could like watch them over and over. Right, right. You, I would like, Get a few of his films and rent them out over a weekend and watch watch them both two or three times, you know? Right, right. So we're coming up on an hour here. Why don't we um, go into uh, what you and I would consider our favorite, um, you know, uh, Jess Franco films. And I'll go first because I, I have a small list. Right. Um, obviously, Awful Dr. Orloff and uh, the, the Dr. Orloff films, I, I highly recommend those. Um, I always liked The Diabolical Dr. Z. That's another good one. Um, and of course, as we mentioned, you know, Succubus and Blood of Fu Manchu, um, Vampiros Lesbos is a great one, Virgin Among the Living Dead. I do like his um, Klaus Kinski, Jack the Ripper from 1976, which uh -huh. I, I have that on Blu-ray. Uh -huh. You do have that on Blu-ray? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting because I, I still, I have that on um, DVD. What, what Blu-ray do you have? Can you, can you say what Blu-ray you have? You um, but I could go run and get it. <laughs> okay. Well, no, is it a four... I know they released that on, in Germany on Blu-ray. I was wondering if you had the German. No, I don't think so. Because um, I, I don't have a region-free player. I would have gotten... Yeah, a, neither do uh, I. 
And that's another thing. If you're a Jess Franco fan, it still plays to have a region free player because some of his films or variations of them still haven't been released on, you know, the NTSC format, believe it or right, not. Right, right. Um, so... I, I just want to mention, I, I also saw Oasis of the Zombies. I, I have to watch that one again because I don't really remember that. Um, I remember being disappointed that there wasn't enough zombie action in the film. <laughs> no. Now, there's, I have a story about that film. Go on. I'll tell the story later. Okay. Um, and there's only one other thing. Is There's one I want to see that I've read about, but I haven't yet, yet to get my hands on it. It's called Alone Against Terror from 1983. Oh, that one looks that, good. Now, where did you hear about that one? Oh, I forget. A while ago, I read about it online. Okay. See, now that doesn't have. Well, even I don't. I don't have a DVD of that. I have a tape of that. Okay, a VHS Spanish tape that I can't understand what it's all about because there's no subtitles. Okay? Right. So that's not available on U. It never showed on. Uh, it never came out on U.S. VA videotape. It never came out on DVD or Blu-ray. So you have to get a, you have to buy that specially from some company or, um, or find somewhere or streaming it, which is and it's a really rare film. Now that's a remake of another film, and that was that was a remake of a earlier film that he made of another Dr. Orloff film. Okay, that was a remake of a film called uh, The Eyes of Dr. Orloff, the nineteen seventy three Dr. Orloff. Oh, okay, and it's the same story. It's about this girl who's in a wheelchair living in this mansion, and her sisters are, you know, kind of like it's kind of like a Cinderella story. Her sisters are mean, you know, and, yeah. and they're and then they're planning to kill her to get her inheritance, you know. And it's a pretty, you know, that's the early one. Alone against the terror is like a more is more sex and violence in it, but you can't find it in the U.S. You you can you can. Maybe find a video in Spanish, but you really can't find a copy that you could watch with or understand what the dialogue was. That's one of his films that's really hard to find an English-friendly version of. I mean, I hope they release it on, uh, I think it's out on Blu-ray, not Blu-ray, I think it's out on video or DVD in Spain. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, because I can't find it. It's not on any of the streaming services. I haven't looked on YouTube yet. I can do that. No, it's not there. I've looked. Oh, it's not. And um, but it's a very hard film to see, and I've got a really bad videotape of it. It's hard even to watch. And um, I, you know, Franco won the you know in, in the nineteen what am I saying two two thousand nine was it in, in in the early twenty first century he won the Spain's highest Goya award for film direction. He went back to Spain after Franco, and he was given this big award. It's like the kind of Oscar for best. You know, it's one of those kind of honorary Oscars, but in Spain. So he won that. And um, so a lot of his films have now been released in Spain and DVD and Blu-ray that aren't still on release here. <laughs> but right. he's he's become like an acceptable director there now. Okay, and he's, he's won these awards and um, he's uh, he won this award and he's respected more than he was back in the Francisco Franco here when he left Spain, you know, he was considered to be a troublemaker and they were glad to get rid of him, you know, and then he got accepted back in there and, uh, but it was kind of too late for him because he was very old then and only made a few more films, you know, and he, he, he couldn't get enough money to make a big, you know, 35 millimeter film with, you know, with like Penelope Cruz or, uh, or um, what's it, Javier Bardem, one of the new Spanish actors, he couldn't, he, he never 
kind of you know was able to do that after after you know two thousand or something like that right, last year. Right. right. So, um, what were you going to um, mention about Oasis of the Zombies? Well, that's interesting because now that's a film. There's two different versions of it. Okay, two different versions, two different casts. Now, Lena Romay is in one of them. She's a female lead in the other one. The other one is this French actress who's not that good. Okay, she's she's just it could be she's not that good of an actress. The one with Lena Romay in is a much better film. There's a villain, also the main villain. Is played by a different actor than the one in the French version. Oasis of the Zombies is the French version. La Tumba de los Muertos Vivientes, Tomb of the Living Dead, is a Spanish version. Now, that's Franco's director's cut. Do you know what a director's cut is? Yeah, of course. Okay, that's what you got to look for. If oh, you're serious okay. about getting into Jess Franco, you got to find the director's cuts of his films. And they're still not that easy to find. Um, you can find Oasis of the Zombies. I mean, that's, you can get that on Amazon, but you, you can't get the Spanish version, which is the director's cut on Amazon. Very hard to find. Um, I found it streaming on this one place on, uh, on the Internet, but it's only in Spanish. But it's a much better film. It's got a totally different soundtrack to it, musical score, which is kind of a very eerie type of voodoo score. You know, it's like, kind of got these voodoo drums playing like these... You know, you hear the voices like, oh, you know, these moaning voices in the distance. It's got that kind of uh, voodoo type of aesthetic to it, okay? Right. Just on the soundtrack. So it's totally different score, different cast, and it's got different, it's got like, it's got a similar ending where they fight the zombies at the end, but it, it's a totally different film. And that's the film you want to try to find. But it's very hard to find. I think a few... Um, bootleggers sell that within the subtitles and you have to kind of go off out of the box to find them okay so yeah so that's a film I've seen of his and I can tell you that the Oasis of the Zombie one is not that good but Tuma de los Muertos Vivientes is a pretty acceptable zombie film it's pretty good right right it's, it's, it's a totally different film that's why there's so many of these film listings of his sometimes film like two or three different versions of the same film one will be for like a French company, one will be for a Spanish company. And usually the one that it's the Spanish one is his cut because he was making them, he was back in Spain and he made, that's the one that he considers his cut. But you have to find out which ones they are. <laughs> and sometimes the other films, the other versions aren't as good or not worth seeing really. Right, right. And it's funny because, you know, we I think we've talked about this before on the show is that films would get retitled um, and re-released. So you'd put it out under one right. title, it doesn't do well, so they, they re-release it under a different title, hoping it'll do better. But yeah. this is this is the first time I've encountered, like, with a few exceptions, like, of course, you know, Bava's Lisa and the Devil and House of Exorcism, that whole right. de debacle there. Um, there aren't a whole bunch of films that are, are separate that, um, that come to mind anyways, but it seems like Franco did quite a few, and he, right. and he supervised that, right? Right. Now, that's another thing. Lisa and the Devil, one of my favorite films. I love that film, okay? You know? and then you watch House of Exorcism, okay, which was the producer's cut, which is <laughs> pretty bad, okay? Right, yeah. It's got all those scenes where she's vomiting up green bile and frogs. Remember that? I yes. Mean, <laughs> did, did you see the, 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 you know, the that cut? Did you see that one? I, yeah, I've seen both versions, yeah. Okay, I've got them both on DVD. 
on Blu-ray. Yeah. I very rarely watched the other House of Exorcism. It's, it's like a, it's like I always scenes which were like inspired by The Exorcist. So Alki Summers vomiting in the priest's faces, green green bile, right. and it's pretty bad. The other one is a great kind of surrealist horror story. You know yeah, I mean? exactly. So yeah, two different films, but one is the director's cut, Weiss and the Devil. And then yet the producers cut, and the producer wanted to make money, so he know that he knew that people would go see it because they say, "Oh yeah, that has the scenes like The Exorcist," okay, and that did make a lot of money. Whereas Lisa the Devil really didn't make any money; he couldn't get it. They never played in the U.S. on theatrically, okay, and it, it, it only got shown like twenty years later on DVD here, but it never made any money because people wanted to see the more violent, you know, uh, risque version. Right, right. And a lot, a lot of Jess Franco films are like that. Yeah, yeah. But you you got to find out which ones are the director's cut. Like I just told you, and it's very hard to find it in English. You can't, in fact, it's not in English. You, you have to maybe buy a subtitle copy from some collector, okay? And not everybody's going to do that. Right, right. So so you, you're stuck with Oasis of the Zombies, which is okay. It's, I mean, it's... But, you know, it's a typical zombie film. There's nothing special about it, you know. Right, right, exactly. So um, why don't you, you know, we, we, you've mentioned how you don't like um, Count Dracula with Christopher Lee, but what are some of your favorites? Well, okay, now you mentioned one, which I really like. And I'm going to go back here. I'm, uh, I would say the, the Diabolical Dr. Z, okay? Now this was made in... 1965, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, the, the the actual t title of it is Miss Muerte, Miss Death, okay? That's the Spanish title of it. It was shown in Spain, but I believe that he got interference for that, and they wouldn't let him film it the way he wanted, but it's still a good film. It's still one of my favorite of the films, but he couldn't show any nudity. He couldn't, you know, when she, like, killed, it's about this dancer who's, hypnotized into killing people by this mad female doctor, hypnotized this female scientist who's a very manipulative person, hypnotizes this dancer into killing other scientists who kind of caused her father's death. Right. She kills she kills them by seducing them and then cutting their throats with their fingernails, which are sharp, okay? And they're poisonous. And they're poisonous. But they really don't show it, okay? They, they, they just, they don't show it graphically, but it's a really good film. The photography is excellent. The music is good. The acting is good. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. It's got all the. It's got. It's got all this kind of black and white photography, which is a lot like, uh, you know, like the Cat People or I Walk with a Zombie, that type of 1940s type of expressionist cinematography. And he was. He really liked those films, and he made a lot of good black and white films like that in the 60s. And that's one of the best. Another one was the sadistic. Baron von Klaus, and uh, which was about a serial killer, and it takes place in uh, in Germany, okay, in Bavaria, I believe that part of Germany, and it was released in '62, and it was called La Mano de un Hombre Muerto, the Dead Man's Hand in Spain, but they cut out all the scenes where the serial killers killing people, okay, oh, in Spain because they couldn't show extreme violence there, you know. Wow. You couldn't show, there's this one scene where he takes this woman, chains her up, and he's burning her with his hot poker. But, you know, it doesn't show it, but it gives you the impression that's happening. 
but you couldn't show like a woman chained, okay? Or you couldn't show like a woman whose, you know, like shoulders were showing, okay? You know what I mean? Right. And those are, I'm not kidding you. Those are the rules, you know? And so it was, but it's a really well photographed, interesting film about this guy. Then you find out the killer is like this pianist, a really kind of talented, concert pianist. You find out he's the killer, killing all those people in a small town in Germany. But it's really well done. It's just, it's just that that version, I've seen the French version, which is on a Blu-ray, called the Sadistic Baron von Klaus. Now it's got, it retained all that footage, so you do see him killing people. You see him kind of torturing and killing this woman. And it's kind of risque for that time, but at least it's not cut. That's one of his best films. Um, you can get that on Blu-ray, buy it on Amazon. Highly recommend it. Those are two of his better early films. Nice. Now, then we go up to Succubus. Uh, where did you see Succubus, by the way? Succubus? Where did I see it? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. I saw it a long time ago. I think I might have rented it or something. Where did you rent it from? Oh, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> We're no, talking no, that, 30 that, years ago. Yeah, no, no, that, that's important to me. I'm very interested in things like that. Okay, so, okay. so you rented it. That film is, uh, you can buy it on Blu-ray from Amazon. Uh, you can... Uh, it's not on blue I'm sorry you can buy it on DVD from Amazon okay it's not on blu-ray I'm hoping they that's probably my all-time favorite of his films but the, the, it was called Necronomicon now that version is a totally different version again okay right they they cut a lot of Necronomicon it's a it's a longer version they cut about 10 minutes out of it they changed the ending okay okay and they made it like into a the ending of Necronomicon is really kind of very strange and surreal and downbeat. They change it to a more, you know, uh, acceptable kind of Hollywood, almost like ending. Um, you know, it doesn't work as well, but it's still, it's still one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite of his films because of the atmosphere. It's, there's like all these nightclub scenes. It's filmed in Berlin. It's filmed in Lisbon. It was his first film made totally outside of Spain. So he could do whatever he wanted, okay? And um, now the producer came in and did cut it for him, but he didn't cut it because of any censorship reasons. He wanted, he, he just added different scenes. But it's a very surreal type of dream film where the main character is a dancer going around killing people again, like the diabolical Dr. Z, only she's doing it under the control of this demon who wants to collect the souls of all these, you know, sinners in the nightclub world, okay? Right. Like, uh, like um like uh, like corrupt people or blackmailers or like uh, you know like uh, you know men who seduce a lot of women he has to kill all these type of kind of sinister people a club owner he has to kill he, he she he makes her kill his club owner the demon and it, it, the whole film is like a dream it's very dreamlike right right uh, but you got to see it kind of in a really good print i think to fully appreciate it it looks pretty good on dvd if you want to see it i mean i would like to see it on blu-ray um the original necronomicon right still hasn't happened and i think it's that's my favorite of his films but unfortunately i can't see it the way i want to see it so that's one of the problems with just frank sometimes some of your favorite or his best films are still hard to see right and what what stinks is that it's um it's available to stream on amazon prime but it's only the spanish version so there's no point if, if you don't speak spanish well really 
Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I have it on DVD. It's in English, okay? And, um, but that's a very hard film. They should just put that on a Blu-ray, okay? Because I know they can and um, get the longer director's cut. I wish they would. That's, it's not my favorite, one of my favorites of his film. Um, and then he made, after he made that, he made that series of films for Harry Allen Towers, which I talked about. And um, those aren't really my favorites of his films. The next film I like is uh, Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein, okay? Oh, yes. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of a very ultra version of House of Dracula. Like there's Dracula, played by Howard yep. Vernon. There's, there's, and then there's Dr. Frankenstein, played by Dennis Price, who is a very distinguished British actor. And at this time in his career, when he made this film for Franco, he'd become an alcoholic, okay? This actor, Dennis Price, he was, he's in Theater of Blood with Vincent Price. He was a very good right. British actor. I think he died like right after this film was made, but um, it's a really crazy film. It's like Dracula is like, uh, gets like injections from a vampire bat, you know what I mean? It's got yeah. all, these all these crazy scenes, but it's very surreal. Frank was at his best when he's, he's kind of a, Spanish surrealist when he does all these ultras surreal things and this film is full of stuff like that okay right and the, the Frankenstein monster is kind of spray painted uh, uh, silver and he looks totally and then a, a werewolf shows up at the end and uh, Frankenstein and the werewolf are fighting at the end and it's a crazy film it's, it's a lot of fun though but I like that then he made another film with the same cast called um now this is with the same cast. It's called the Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Yeah, that's one. That's one of my favorite films. That's one of the first films I wrote a review about him. I, re I reviewed on the internet. Okay, is that one different from Lust for Frankenstein? Yes, totally okay. different. Totally different film. And I don't like that one that much. That's made much later. This one was made nineteen seventy two. Okay, right after Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein. I can't even. See, I don't. I can't even find it here on the. The IMDb, I don't, I don't even know if they listed, okay? Hmm. They li okay, yeah, here it is. La Maldiciente Frankenstein. That means the curse of Frankenstein, okay? Right. Now, once again, there's two totally different versions of this film, okay? The Spanish version, which was made in 72, with General Franco still had all the censorship and doesn't have any nudity or violence in it. And then the erotic rights of Frankenstein, which is full of nudity and violence, okay? Really, really bizarre violence, okay? Like, like there's this torture chamber full of nude people. They're being whipped. Nude men and women are being whipped by other nude people. Okay, uh, <laughs> there's all these kind of weird tortures, devices, bloody. It's a totally bizarre version of Frankenstein. Okay, full of sex and violence. It's kind of like Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Right. Okay? Only, oh, only a few years before that. Okay, this is made before Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Yeah. It's very similar to that. So Franco once again is doing things other directors later did. Okay. That's right. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite of his films. You can buy that. It's on Blu-ray. I would highly recommend that. Buy it out. You can buy it on Amazon. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's, and there, at least is what I find, it's La Maledicion de Frankenstein. Right. You got to you gotta get one called The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Okay? Right. And it, they used to have it, I think, who released it? I think Redemption or Kino had it. If you can't order it there, you might have to order directly from the company right redemption films i think um tim lucas has like a if you know who he is tim lucas yeah. he's a film, pretty 
he's a film critic who really likes Jess Franco. He has a he has a Franco commentary on that. Okay. Oh, okay. In fact, he mentions me in the Franco commentary. Oh, but nice. in any case, uh, it, it's a he knows what he's talking about. So there's a really nice commentary on it. But it's erotic rights, and they have and there's two different versions of it. This is the one you got to get the erotic rights. In the last 70 minutes, and then there's a longer one, this cut version, which is actually longer, but it contains all these scenes where instead of being nude, the women have like uh, bras on, okay? <laughs> yeah. So and that kind of ruins it, you know, for me. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know. That, that, oh, that's I what agree. I mean. <laughs> that's what I mean. This is very complicated to explain to people over a podcast. All these films have like two or three, four or five different versions, and usually there's only one that's really worth tracking down. So if you want to be a Jess Franco fan, you can read my blog. You can read some of his books. We're going to be talking about this, but I can tell you which ones I would. I would watch that Erotic Rights of Frankenstein. Now, The Curse of Frankenstein, the censored version, it's almost like a kid's version. That's actually, you can rent that out of my local library, okay? Believe hmm. it or not. They have my local library has a Jess Franco film, and it's a censored version of The Erotic Rights of Frankenstein with no nudity, no nothing in it. It's just like a Frankenstein. <laughs> That's it, weird. It just looks like a cheap Frankenstein film. And all the good scenes are cut out. And they add all these other scenes, which aren't as good, okay? So that's another film where you got, where this, you can't just see the bad version. If you see the bad version, and I don't like to say, it's not really bad, but you say, okay, that was not that good. If you saw the erotic rights of Frankenstein, you say, okay, I want to see another Jess Frank. Yeah. So, that, see, it gets complicated, doesn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. See, I, I'm sure you might want, and then a version among the living dead, I would recommend that one. Which one? Which, a Virgin Among the Living Dead. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know which version you've seen that one. You no, know? that's got like, I've, I've got like seven or eight different versions. And I feel like I saw I saw that recently, too. Um, Where did you see it? I, I might have seen it on Tubi. I'm, I'm trying to look it up yeah. now so I can see if I if there's a different title. Well, Tubi has shown, has had a lot of films, has had some of his films, not a lot, but some of his films. And sometimes uh, Amazon Prime will have his films for free too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But that that film has a lot of nudity. Okay, and um, so that's another film that would almost be rated X. And then there's and then there's a zombie version. In Franco's version, there's no zombies, but in the version they released on American Video here, they added scenes with zombies that Franco didn't even direct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So they turned it into a zombie film, and that's not really like a zombie film. You know? So you got to see a version among the living dead and the Blu-ray release. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I'm I'm trying to determine. Oh wait, hold on. If I go down here, I mean, if it's on Tubi, that's a place. The, the, Tubi was usually good. They usually show the the director's cut. And what's good? Oh yeah, absolutely. And what's good is you can just type in Jess Franco, and it'll come up with all his films that they have. Right. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Tubi has just Franco films, and uh, to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I like Tubi a lot. You know, I mean, I, I can't afford to go see. I really don't go see many new films in theaters, and uh, I, I don't enjoy being in theaters, especially now after COVID, and, um, uh, that much anymore. I can't stand all the coming attractions that drive me crazy. So if I can watch it online, I'll watch it online. You know, yeah, I can watch. You know, I can take a break, have a sandwich. You know. But that's right. a film, a version among the living, but it's about this young woman who's having a nervous breakdown on this island, and she finds out her mother's died, and 
her father died mysteriously. He's actually been murdered by her uncle. And it's a very strange dreamlike kind of, kind of like murder mystery. And, uh, which kind of takes you beyond the living dead at the end. It's, it's a really nice film. Uh, highly recommended. You're going to have to buy it from probably like Amazon or um, I think it was released by Redemption Films. It's got like a, once again, it's got like a commentary track by Tim Lucas. Um, that's a good one. Then there's another one. My second favorite one is called, I just did the, I just, this was released like last year. I'm sorry, this was released earlier this year by Mondo Macabro under the title, The Other Side of the Mirror. And I did the commentary track for it with uh, Rod Barnett, a colleague of mine. We do podcasts together. And uh, Rod does Paul Nashy commentaries and podcasts. And I've been on a few of those. And we also do DVD and Blu-ray commentaries. And we did it for that one. And that was made in 73. Once again, that's about a young woman who's having who starts killing people, okay? Franco's got to sing about women killing people, okay? Right. And her uh, <laughs> female killers, which is pretty interesting, you know? And um, you don't see that many American films. You know, this is before, like, you know, some of these more recent ones, like by Brian De Palma or somebody else having a female killer, you know? And um, the other side of the mirror, and she, like, sees all these visions in the, this mirror, and she goes out and kills people. You find out later that it's her father who's dead and committed suicide who's kind of possessed her, okay? And he's forcing her to kill all these people she knows. And it's very, it's, it's a great film. I can describe it. You're probably, probably going to say it doesn't sound interesting. But you'll <laughs> see, once you see it, you'll say, boy, that's a great film. Yeah. I would highly, 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 highly recommend it. Mondo Macabro. You can order it from those guys. I don't know if you know that company. Of course, yep. They're a very good company. Please give information about that at the end. Um, you can listen to um, the comments that myself and Rod make. We worked really hard on the commentary. There's tons of uh, extras uh, footage on it. It's got a great musical track also, a great kind of uh, interesting jazz musical track. And uh, that, to me, along with Succubus, is probably my favorite and his best film. Those two, I would say, and um, so I highly recommend that. I mean, just and you can order very easily uh, from Mondo Macabro. They're not expensive or anything. That is Jess Franco working at one hundred percent, and that was made partially in Spain and partially in uh, Madeira, which is an island. It's a that's a Portuguese island which Franco made a number of films on. Okay, where he didn't have any. There's no censorship there like there was in Spain at that time. Okay, right. So he made that and Female Vampire, with big vamp. That's a vampire film with Lena Romay, and that's a that was made as a triple X film, triple X version. And then as a normal vampire film, and then as a softcore sex version. So there's three totally different versions of that. Female Vampire. That's one of his better films, though, believe it or not. Right. Made Madeira, and that was made in '73. Also, that was a great year for him. He made two of his best films. Female Vampire, highly recommended. Redemption Films, they got, they got like two or three different versions of the film on DVD, so you can enjoy it whichever way you want to watch it. And The Other Side of the Mirror. That was probably his best year in 1973, um, in the 70s. And both those films uh, just show him at his best. And, and, and they're French co-productions, okay? Right. I think there's, and once again, the, the French producers treated him a lot better than they did in Spain. 
It's not until 1975 when Franco died, the dictator, that he, and, and even after that, he didn't return to Spain until 1975, because he was, I think he was paranoid about going back there. He, <laughs> he was going to be arrested or something, or have, have to, you know, you know, get fined or something, you know? Right, so, right. Okay, that's one of his best films. Have you, have you seen that one, Female Vampire? I have not. Highly recommend. Lena Romay is a star of it. Oh, nice. Highly, highly recommend. That's uh, awesome. Then another one, another favorite, Lorna the Exorcist. Once again, the Exorcist is in the title, but it's nothing like the Exorcist, okay? Right. It's about this, <laughs> it's about this possessed woman, uh, French actress who I actually interviewed once. I did an interview with her, never got published, but a really sweet lady, uh, Monique Delaunay, Pamela Stanford, she calls herself. She still lives in France. She still makes films. Um, wow. She, play, she plays like this kind of female, uh, what would you call it? Mephistopheles, okay? Mephistopheles. It's kind of a female, it's kind of like a version of Faust, where like there's this character, he sells his soul to this woman who's like a female Faust so he can achieve business success. But she says, I'm going to come back in 20 years and I'm going to take your firstborn child, and then I will allow you in the meantime to become a millionaire. And that's what happens. He becomes a millionaire businessman, and he meets her 20 years later in a casino, and so it was all filmed in France. And uh, she tries to seduce and kidnap his own daughter, played by Lena Romay. And it's kind of a three-way version of Faust. Very, 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 very good film. And that's Lorna the Exorcist, right? That, that's the title of it. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had, I, I bought a copy. Of, I bought a Blu-ray of that. Believe it or not, from I had to buy a Blu-ray from France. Okay. <laughs> With another Franco film, and it, it took like three months to get here. So it's not an easy film. It, it, it's, it's a great-looking version of it. Okay. And you have to. Uh, I think there's also. I don't know if there's an American. Uh, in fact, Mano Macabre might have released that first a few years before that, but on DVD in a slightly different version. This one is a totally uncut version, but I had I had to go. I thought it was never going to come, and it was very expensive. But it was. It's a great film. Yeah. And, a, they, and they have the French version, and they have an English language version of it. Okay, believe it or not, never it didn't show in the U.S., but it showed in Canada. Okay, in Montreal. And uh, so, the, and where they, where they, where they have French. I don't know if you've ever been to Montreal, but they have like yeah. a lot of. It's dual language. You can go into like a nightclub and they speak French or English there. You know, and same with films. You go out and watch a French version or an English version. So that is one of his best films. Again, version of Faust, classic story, very very well photographed, very eerie, strange, weird film. Uh, one of his, Jess Franco at his best, 1974. Nice. Uh, then then we have to go, basically, um, those are probably my favorite of his films right there. And uh, I mean, that's, that's about half a dozen. I mean, I, I've done also a number of commentaries for Severn films, like on a lot of his 80s films, well, several of his 80s films, like... Uh, uh, well, there's one I did call Shining Sex. I'm sorry, that was actually a 1975 film 
about an alien, Lena Romay plays like this woman who's abducted by these aliens from another dimension, not from outer space. They come from another dimension and they kidnap her and turn her into a killer again, okay? Oh, <laughs> and, she, and she kills like these scientists who the, these aliens are after. For, it's a very weird, 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 weird film. Very weird film. Interesting. But very interesting. <laughs> and, and it has, there's a, it came out as an X, triple X version. And then it came out as just a regular R-rated version. So I did the, the commentary along with Rod again on the, a few years ago they released it from Severn Films. That's one of his best films too. Wow. Uh, it's The Shining Sex, believe it or not. That's the name of the film. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, and he just did a whole series of really dynamite films in the 1980s that I can recommend. Uh, there's one called Macumba Sexual which I believe was Severin film just released on Blu-ray, which is kind of like a voodoo story again about this voodoo goddess who hypnotizes people and a very, very weird film. Not much dialogue, a lot of voodoo dancing, a lot of voodoo type music. Very weird film. That's one of Franco's, I think, best films. That uh, made, made 1981 or 82, I think it was released. And... Uh, but that's been that just came out on Blu-ray. Finally, came out on Blu-ray. It was eighty-three. Eighty-three. Okay. Well, that's. I think it was. I think it was released in Spain in eighty-three. But I think it was actually made like in eighty-one or eighty-two. Huh. Some of his some of his songs are like that. A lot of songs like that. They took. They weren't released right away, and they don't get released like until years after they were made. Sometimes you know. Right. 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 Because of their. Um, some had problems finding distributors. And um, it's not until in the 1980s where, you know, all the, when hardcore became legal, then he made a whole series of hardcore films too, some of which I haven't seen, okay, believe it or not. And uh, um, those films came out right away, okay? Very, 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 very inexpensive hardcore films. Right. This was, this was in the mid-80s because he couldn't find any work as a, out of the hardcore industry, so he had to do that. He couldn't. He couldn't get. It wasn't for censorship. He just couldn't find a job in the you know mainstream Spanish movie industry in the mid eighties. Right, right, right. And I so, think it's kind of ironic that he did Succubus, and then in two thousand two he did Incubus. <laughs> right, and that's a, and that's a Incubus. Believe it or not, is a kind of a remake of Lorna the Exorcist. It's about a woman, it's about a man who makes a deal with his female Mephistopheles to, to get wealth and power, and then she kind of takes his daughter and corrupts her daughter, his daughter. It's the same story, different actors, filmed in, totally, filmed in Spain instead of France, okay? Right. But I've seen it. It's not as good as Lone of the Exorcist, okay? Yeah. It's very, very, very low budget. Yeah, have you ever seen any shot on video films? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like one of those shot on video horror films from like the nineteen eighties. Okay, right. Very low, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's got Lena Romay in it though, <laughs> so that's a plus. Right, but yeah, I'm, I I can't. I'm sorry, I can't recommend that. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. And, uh, that's funny. But but he he did he ended up his career doing you know a lot of a lot of hardcore stuff 
and a lot of directed these directed video type films. Right. Some of which are some of which are pretty interesting. Right. He did a he did a very popular one called Faceless Faceless with uh, Helmut Berger playing a it's kind of a remake of uh, with Dr. Harloff playing a mad scientist who's kidnapping women again. Okay, um, and that came out on UHD ultra high definition. Seven films released that. That's the first. I don't know if you get into ultra high definition. I don't. Okay? No, I don't. <laughs> you got to have a oh, you got to have an ultra high definition player, ultra high definition television, and they cost a small fortune. Ultra high definition. Oh really? Yeah, I'm going backwards. Anyways, I've been buying up uh, VHS tapes lately. So <laughs> good, good, good for you. We have to do a whole. We have to do a whole um, podcast on VHS collecting. Oh, we'd love to. That would be fun. Well, Robert, this this has been amazing. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about Jess Franco? No, um, we would like to return and talk about maybe focus, you know, um, laser focus on just one or two of his films or, you know, that we could get, you know, more and more depth on. With Franco, you kind of have to go one at a time, you know, and yeah. we, could, we, we could do this for the next 200 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> But, but for, let's just say for the next few uh, shows, we'll be looking at um, some surprise Jess Franco films. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think the listeners will enjoy it. And, you know, folks at home, you definitely got to check out the films of Jess Franco. Um, they, they are, some are available. There are quite a few. Uh, like we said, you know, you could go to Tubi or Amazon or wherever or even purchase them on DVD. And um, we're good, like like Robert said, we're going to start talking about them uh, one film at a time. We haven't decided what the first one's going to be for the next episode, but we will let you know. And uh, Robert, why don't you tell the listeners where to find you online? And I'm at uh, my blog is titled "I'm in a Jess Franco State of Mind." After I'm in a New York State of Mind, that old chestnut because I live in New York State and I spend a lot of time down in New York City. Now I live in upstate again, and uh, I'm in a Jess Franco state of mind covers. Right now, I used to cover a lot of different films, not all Jess Franco films. Now I just cover Jess Franco films. So it's www.robertmonell, M-O-N-E-L-L, robertmonell.blogspot.com. Awesome. And we'll have that in the show notes. Um, as well as the uh, the film that you recommended, we put in the show notes that Rod uh, Rod Barnett and yourself did commentary for, for Mondo Macabro. And um, also, folks, if you want to um, find me, you could find me at havenpodcasts.com. You'll find my other shows there. And we'd love to hear your feedback, so please email us at havenpodcasts at gmail.com and put cult movie lounge in the subject in the subject line and then we'll know it's for this show so thank you for joining us this week and uh, join us again next episode
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.